Welcome to the Mark Steering Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota Metro music scene. Check me on at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music, including my new track, Dog Park, is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. If you get an extra buck or two that you wouldn't mind tossing in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Music Podcast. Also consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by Tom Waits. The world is a hellish place, and bad writing is destroying the quality of our suffering. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Scary Music Podcast, episode 102. Thanks to all the folks who contribute to this podcast on Patreon.com. Coming at you this week from a rainy day here in St. Paul, Minnesota, recovering from a long weekend of gigs and fun. Debating as I record this if I should take Wednesday off and go see my buddy Mike McDonough play a fundraiser at Famous Dave's and possibly get to meet Joey Mullen of Badfinger. Tune in next week to see what I decided to do. played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. While setting up my gear, I caught a faint scent that someone may have gotten sick in my area. Hostess Karina came to investigate, and after examining the area with a flashlight, realized it was a lady's Swiss cheese sandwich right behind me. Thursday, Brian Johnson and myself rocked out at Lucky's 13 in Burnsville, Minnesota. Played outside the patio gate, and the echo from the mall entrance was super trippy. Friday, I played a solo show at Wild Bills in Woodbury, Minnesota. It was hot. Really hot. Too hot. Saturday, Brian K. Johnson and myself rocked out at Seven Brothers in Clayton, Wisconsin. And of course, Gores totally chickened out on singing the Neil McCoy medley. Sunday, Brian Johnson, Copper the Wonder Golden, and myself jammed at Paradise Landing for Oktoberfest in Balsam Lake, Wisconsin. Big thanks to our number one fan, Rika, and the Paulson family for rocking out with us on another hot day. Upcoming shows. Wednesday, September 27th, 2017. I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Thursday, September 28th, Brian Johnson and myself will be jamming at Lucky's 13 in Roseville, Minnesota from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, September 29th, I'll be playing a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota from 7 to 10 p.m. 
Saturday, September 30th, Brian Johnson and myself will be playing a benefit for Helping Hands at the Pavilion in downtown Hudson, Wisconsin from 2 to 4 p.m. Guest this week is part three of three with the legendary Minnesota singer-songwriter Martin Zeller. We discuss Neil Diamond, Statue of Jesus, playing Scrabble with Westerberg, etc. Enjoy the conversation. Mr. Martin Zeller, welcome back to the Mark Stereo Music Podcast, part three here with one of my all-time musical heroes, Mr. Martin Zeller. We're going to do a final episode here, and thanks so much, Martin, for letting me and your family's St. Paul home up here, and it's been a fun afternoon talking about FDR and all kinds of fun <laughs> stuff. We have all kinds all of over things the in common here. Um, so we were talking about that song about Allie or whatever that you had, uh, Some Girls. Here's a question for you. So... Let's say, because you started your Neil band, wasn't that uh, opening for Soul Asylum on a New Year's Eve or something like that? Yeah, the Hyatt. That the Hyatt. Remember, they, maybe they still do them. The downtown Hyatt New Year's Eve shows. So, if you could have picked another artist to do a tribute band besides Neil, who did you pick? Well, first of all, you know, the Neil Diamond thing, it's like I wasn't a Neil Diamond fan at the time. It was it was done as a joke. Our thought was that it would be really hilarious. You know, we Soul Song guys were friends of ours, and especially at that time, they are just loud, loud, fast. So we thought this was going to be this sort of hilarious Andy Kaufman-esque experience, you know, like where we'd go up there and we'd just be the objects of scorn. Like people would just be throwing shit at us and like, you know, what the hell is this? And it, even with the young, like loud, fast, you know, early 80s, sorry, sorry, late 80s Minneapolis music fans, they loved it. So it, it did not spring from any, you know, real love of Neil Diamond. And I've since become a fan of his of the songwriting and of him personally because I've I've got the chance to meet him really and I've got the chance to hear you know these stories that really make me you know he just seems to be just a really truly nice decent man but anyway so no I mean I think if I did if I did a tribute of someone that you know like was that I would just really get into doing, no one would show up because it would be, probably be something like Tom Waits or something like that. And you know, no, I, I, you're not gonna like have people lining up down the block every week to see a Tom Waits tribute show. I mean, obviously there'd be a lot, there'd be people that would really appreciate it, but the Neil thing you couldn't miss because it kind of worked on every level. You know, we drew like the hardcore Neil Diamond fans and then we drew the people that weren't necessarily Neil Diamond fans, but familiarity is everything. You know, people didn't realize how many of those songs they knew until all of a sudden you start singing them. And then it also worked on sort of the kitsch level. So, there were people that came just because they thought it was, it was, they thought it was funny. So I don't know. So let's say you did start a Tom Waits tribute band, just 
Tom, exclamation point, what would you say would be key tracks that would need to be in there? Well, I, first of all, I couldn't pull it off. You know, I, w- I would never do it because I, <laughs> I, I couldn't pull it off. But I'm a huge fan of the, his early, like, Me too. singer-songwriter stuff. The, but I'm also a big fan of Rain Dog. I, I like almost everything he's done, but his really early singer-songwriter stuff. And another guy whose songs have been covered by people and made into big hits, even though he hasn't you know, necessarily had any... Well, he hasn't had any big hits on his own, but... His stuff is so... It's so sad. Some of that early uh, stuff, like, you know, uh, that closing time, and even earlier stuff before that, you know, uh, old 55, and, you know, I can't... I can't hope that I don't follow you. you. Oh, yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Oh, Mockingbird, I love Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. Mockingbird singing the song Well, the Mockingbird is mocking me now the joke on There's so many good ones. Old Gears would sell a lot of beer, though. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's a it's a smaller it's a smaller group that would appreciate it, but you'd have to be a lot more talented than I to like be able to pull off a Tom Waits tribute. I'd so, love to see it. So let's say they did do a someday they did a tribute a Martin tribute. Who would you? want to have in that band do a tribute of you and what songs would you want them to play oh boy that would be <laughs> I don't know well actually what a, what a, I, I loved this but we did a show at O'Gara's and it might have been New Year's Eve might have even been 2000 but the Billies opened up now it wasn't the the Billies once opened up for the Gear Daddies as a Gear Daddies tribute band it was awesome. It was so. It was funnier than hell. And they, in all honesty, did a lot of the songs better than we did. <laughs> they called themselves Sonic Boom, and yeah, they they opened for us doing. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was, it was great. I was laughing so hard I was crying. But wow. uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd uh, I'd actually be more interested to hear what people would pick. To cover, you know, than rather than like leading people. Yeah, sometimes when you watch like those Kennedy Center Honor shows, and like you, know, there's Robert Plant or sitting there watching someone cover one of his songs or whatever. Sometimes you're either crying or they're like, "Ooh, this is brutal." Yeah, like, oh yeah, I wouldn't have picked this one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you don't, you never know which songs. You know, you write songs, and or I do, and I'm, I tend to write when I'm alone usually in the middle of the night and I, I write them not really with the thought of these being recorded or performed usually I don't I'm writing them for personal reasons or whatever and then all of a sudden you're just at a point where you're throwing them out there it's like you just have no idea you know it resonates with you obviously you know it's like this meant something to you but you just have no idea if anyone out there is going to connect with it or resonate and sometimes I'm surprised at the ones that that do and not everything I write is autobiographic it's like I like to I hear stories a lot of times that people around me tell or have happened to people around me and 
I'll write that story and sometimes easier just to make it as if it's, you know, first, from, person. first person, you know. So a lot of those things, I think people assume some songs. I've had people, the Gear Dads have a song called Statue of Jesus. Well, I'm sitting downtown crying need the Statue of Jesus. Both of us are lonely and cold, hope no one can see us. very unsavory father character and I've had people are like assuming it was about my dad which is like my dad was the sweetest corniest like most beautiful man you could ever meet so couldn't be further from the character in there but so it's yeah they're not all from personal experience that was one of the songs I was going to ask you about on this episode was I, I get asked to play that song all the time. I cover Statue of Jesus probably once a week. Oh, cool. People say, hey, the royalty check's in the mail, Martin. I left it outside. <laughs> no, the story <laughs> behind that one, this is a classic case of song. I was stumbling home from a show after First Avenue. I lived uptown. I went to a show at First Avenue. I was on my way home, and I got hit up for change uh and guy I didn't have, I literally had no money. It's like I gave the guy, bummed a cigarette, and we sat there and had a cigarette, and he told me that story. And it was just like, it was probably total bullshit, but it was a great story. It didn't matter. It's like it, it, it very well could have been his shtick, you know, the, that he told people to get money. But I went home right away and, like, wrote it wrote it down and that was one of those songs that wrote itself wrote I wrote really quick because it was just this story that a guy had just told me but as it turned out it was uh, we were actually it had happened where it was a statue of Father Marquette not Jesus and that just didn't work as well so that one detail was changed artistic license yeah you know it, it wouldn't have worked as sitting downtown crying into their statue of Father Marquette. <laughs> the, hard, yeah, the harmonies on that part. But yeah, yeah, I get asked to play that all the time. As far uh, it's as an vocal, easy one, luckily. I do, uh, I do an E. That's, yeah, that's what it's in. So I, walk up I think e. everything I wrote back then was an E. <laughs> like, it was where my voice fit, and it, to me that was all that really mattered. And I remember going into the studio and the producer saying, we need to change the keys on some of these. Ding. I'm like, no. <laughs> so it's like, hey man, Johnny like, Cash played E. I want to play well, E. Exactly. Well, I don't. That's just where my voice worked at that time. I was going to ask you about uh, that. Was the next thing I was going to ask you? Like, I think you're one of your besides your you kind of this, the package, everything. Like, the, besides the timing and besides the the great songs and unique sounding band and stuff, is your voice, your unique singing voice. Um, does that just because I don't know if you really you have a really the growl the big unique you can you can like um, if Frank Sinatra was singing you can tell it's him in two seconds if it's Elvis singing you can tell it's him in two seconds when you sing they can tell it's you in two seconds how did you develop your singing voice well I mean it, it, I think unfortunately the early stuff I smoked 
way too much, which was like, <laughs> and I tend to, I push a lot of air when I sing, which is, which uh, is part of my style. It just comes natural. But I just grew up, I loved, I loved dynamics in songs. Like, I love, I've always loved, I grew up loving songs that first verse, this, second verse builds, third, that whole thing where the, and then where it finally just explodes into that big, big, big chorus or big, and so I, a lot of my early stuff, especially, I wrote because I loved that type of song structure. Uh-huh. So it, it ended up having to resolve into the big screaming kind of thing, and so I learned to do it because I loved the songs that did that. I even, uh, I used to, I don't remember the name of the band was, I remember I was playing, a, they had me sub in the middle of some show, and then this drummer started singing, and he sounded just like he was, like, doing the whole Martin Zeller voice. Wow. Thing. You got all kinds of imitators out there, man. Well, I'm telling you, like, one of the things I've found, which I didn't know, is that my phrasing is weird, because I'll have singers come into the studio when we were doing Rooster's Crow and brought in uh, Kelly Willis and a woman named Terry Hendricks, who's phenomenal. But it was interesting, like, listening to them because they were baffled by my phrasing, trying to, because they had to sing, they had to match it when they were singing the harmonies, and they, it just wasn't coming natural to them. And to me, it's just what I do, and it's just like, completely natural to me. And I had never realized until real singers try to sing harmonies to it that it's not apparently normal. My phrasing <laughs> is not normal. <laughs> oh, God, that is hilarious, man. Um, who are some of your singers' influences that you think you kind of fit in with? Gosh, I don't know. I certainly didn't... Uh, for sure not Michael Bolton. No, no, no. I Well, you know, <laughs> I w- wish I could sing that technically. Technically well. You know, and the, this is not that he was any influenced me in any way, but I think one of the reasons, too, that the Neil Diamond thing worked is that we are similarly pitchy, our voices. You know, we technically, we don't have technically great voices, and... Both of us have the slight pitch thing that uh, isn't bad enough that it is too distracting. At least, it, unless unless it's somebody with a really good ear. But uh, I would say that maybe Neil Diamond and my voices are similar that way. Again, that something I discovered later might be one of the reasons that my voice has worked on his songs. But. Um, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of the singer-songwriters that I grew up listening to had technically very flawed voices. Dylan and Neil Young. We've been through some things together With trunks of memories still to come Tom Waits, none of those guys had quote-unquote good voices, you know, they're, they're acquired tastes. Um, so, I don't know, I mean, I, I can't say as any of them 
made a, I tried to replicate any of it, but it certainly made it seem like it was, again, possible. It's like, wow, if these guys can be considered singers, then I can. Nice. Well, just a couple more things here. I'm going to wrap up this episode. So I was going through your Facebook page and talk about one of the coolest photos I've ever seen in my entire life. It should be hanging in some big billboard down to Minneapolis. Is the photo, some summertime photo of you, Westerberg, and Perner. Oh, yeah. I love that photo. <laughs> what the hell? That is, that is like iconic. What's, what was, what's the story behind that photo? Was it like in Cannon Falls or something like that, or what would that have been? No, it was actually for a City Pages story um, that uh, they'd done, because the Gear Days had just gotten signed to Polygram, and um, Soul Asylum had put out a couple of major label albums, and then Paul and the replacements were the old, you know, the old... So I think they're trying to get like a, uh, uh, it's kind of this idea that we're going to get a perspective of the three different stages, like people, I was the young pup, you know, with idealistic, you know, not yet jaded, and I'll never forget, like, Westerberg, basically, you know, paraphrasing, but saying, you just wait, and God, everything he said came to be, like, every sucky thing about being on a major label that he was warning me about was like, right, I mean, just right on down the line. Did you know Westerberg, or is that the first time you met him? No, I knew him, and not were like good friends by any means, but knew him. I had actually had the, got to play Scrabble with him one night, which was, which was very interesting. Huh. Um, any interesting stories with Perner? Oh, God. Well, I, the Gear Daddies did a lot of shows with Solo Sound. And, uh, and, you know, knew him, knew those guys pretty well. And I just knew Paul, you know, we, other than the night spent playing Scrabble with them, was like, wasn't, you know, we weren't social. But, um, yeah, I have a lot of Perner stories that, not that I would ever tell since yeah. he would be not happy. The good ones. And and vice versa. I, I wouldn't want him telling any of his stories about me either. So when uh, Words with Friends came up on the cell phones here a few years ago, you didn't hit up Paul Westerberg and say, hey man, we'll continue that Scrabble game with Words with Friends? No, no. I've, uh, I haven't I haven't seen him in quite a while, but I'm never never around. I mean, and I'm a, a huge fan so, like, even having got, you know, when we moved up and one of the first shows I saw after moving up from Austin was, uh, ironically, well, not ironically, but two of the first shows, one was Husker Du in the basement of the U of M at the Hole. Because my roommate, who's a guy from Austin at the time's cousin's Grant Hart, the drummer for Who's Curdue. So all of a sudden, Wayne is like, you know, an old friend of mine 
Austin, Minnesota boy, like, yeah, my cousin's in a band, they're playing. And we were at the going to the U of M at the time. So I went to see them and just like, holy shit, what is this? Just right and then shortly thereafter the replacements played in the great hall at the U of M. You know, it's the old and that show just rocked my world. Because again, you know, we'd moved up from Austin. Our experiences was you played what you you were there to keep people happy. You were there to keep people on the dance floor to sell beer. You know, you were at the service of the of the customer, so to speak. And you lived and died by keeping them happy. And then all of a sudden, going up and seeing the replacements, where the ab- attitude was completely opposite. Like, you don't like it, you know, go fuck yourself. You know, it was like they just they did what what they wanted to do. They self amused, and it's like they didn't seem to care whether, you know. That was something that people were interested in, and it just flipped everything on its head for me. It was awesome. Do you have a favorite replacements cut? Um, well, Let It Be was... Uh, the album? That, that, but, I, but, you know, uh, Here Comes a Regular from Tim, like, was one of them, like, hit me hard. Cause... The sun was past, it's too late. Back then, everyone was hanging out at the CC Club, and there was something very evocative of those years hanging out at the CC Club from that song that was like, kind of hit me and a lot of people, I think, hard. It was, wow. uh, it resonated. That's cool. Well, okay, wrapping this up. I, uh, one question I generally ask a lot of people, um, musicians I admire or whatever, is that you have this big catalog of work. So let's say my grandma's listening to this podcast, which she might be, and, or let's say a person up to you had no idea, down in Mexico, whatever, had never heard of you, never heard of your music, never heard of your bands, never heard of sing anything. What would you say would be the quintessential Martin Zeller record you would hand that person? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. I will say this, and this was kind of a cool experience for me, is that I, get, I do shows and people ask me that. Like, I'll they'll come up to a merch booth or they'll ask me, it's like, which one should I buy? And it's just like, I don't know. So I decided I was going to put together like a sampler. Um from everything, but I decided to uh, poll my fans, friends, fans, family, whatever, and have them give me uh, 15 songs. I think I asked for 15, like, no, t- 10. I just said, give me 10 songs. If I was to put out a sampler, what 10 songs would you pick? And I threw it out there to maybe 50 people. And then I just, we went and averaged them out and it was very interesting. And that's actually I'm I'm gonna re- put it on um, put it on uh, iTunes like this month. Just sell it as an iTunes album at a, like for cheap, so that anyone that's looking to like you know maybe a new fan can go and it's kind of a sampler of everything. So that's not really an answer to your question, but I was it was interesting. Like the ones they came up with, and 
I was happily a lot of them are ones I would have picked. When I asked Adam Levy uh, that recently, he said, "Oh, I was just selling the newest one for sure. It's the one I like the best." Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, he's he's absolutely right. Um, we had a funny thing. I asked him. Uh, he was on my podcast a few weeks back, and and uh, I was going researching him too, and I was researching his song, uh, the big uh, number they had, uh, "I Miss You." And I said, well, who was the girl singer on the first version of that? He goes, Martin Zeller. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is. Yeah, that was me. Well, uh, okay, final uh, story behind the song segment. The very first Martin Zeller song I ever heard when I was a kid in Turtle Lake, Wisconsin, was Boys Will Be Boys, and They'll Always Be Jerks. What's the story behind that song, if you don't mind sharing it? Um, again, that was, a, that was a story that was of something was happening to a close friend, family member, I won't say, was going through that exact thing, and... That's a story like written from her perspective, and I couldn't have agreed more. I mean, I had both those. There's a lot of like guys are jerks songs on both uh, Billy's Live Bait and Let's Go Scare Al between them. And I just, at that time, had a lot of female friends and family members, whatever, going through some like really awful experiences. So they're sort of. And some of them were mere culpas because I was a dumbass boy too, you know. And was, you know. What did your family say when the curse words came through in the chorus? Oh, my mom was not happy. Oh, that was that was a you know, that was really you. hard for me. Actually, it really was because. Uh, when I, first I knew she was going to listen to it. Record of mine, I was like, you know, just wait. I give him a copy, and all of a sudden. Why did you say that? Oh, she was not happy. Oh, you can't. Oh. And then the other thing I loved with my mom was, God bless her, there's uh, the song She's Happy off of uh, Let's Go Scare Al. Was she the housewife? In hustling with the night shift at the plan, but today they got a nice little trail and a nice little there are references that are clearly about someone that is a family friend. Not the whole thing, but I cherry-pick certain details that were drawn from this character, and I'll, uh, I'll say Irene, cause it, which it wasn't. Yeah. But I, my mom was, like, just mortified. She's like, Irene is going to know this is about her. I'm like, Mom, I don't think Irene is going to be listening to this album. <laughs> No, that is oh. a, that is a hard thing to let go of those. Let go. You write stuff again, and then all of a sudden you have to like go. Oh, geez, not you know, not, people are gonna listen to this, but my family, my mom and dad are gonna be listening to these. Yeah, it's it's a tough deal. Um, Mr. Martin Zeller, one of my musical heroes of all time. Thank you so much for being on these episodes of the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. I really appreciate it. And a huge thanks to another dear buddy, Luke Kramer. 
uh, guitar slinger extraordinaire for hooking me up with you. I really appreciate that. He's been on the podcast. He's doing a top five episode coming up soon, too. I love Luke, and thank you guys so much. Everyone loves Luke. Yes, like, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Sterry Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits in the show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time.